0: The reading today is from Acts chapter 18, verses 1-17, and is found on page 1117. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was, one of the, he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue, every Sabbath, and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they, and when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptised. And the Lord said to Paul one night in his vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God amongst them. But when Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul, and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God, contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews,
1: It really is great to to be back at Grace Church Dulwich and um, to see a few familiar faces. I often go to churches and I I know nobody and uh, they're all strangers, but looking out around here it is good to see one or two folks who I know in the past prayed for us when we were overseas with Crosslink, so uh, great to be here. Let's pray as we come to Acts chapter 18. Father God, we pray now that you would give us ears to hear, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and hearts that would respond in obedience and faith to your word to us this morning. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, my, um, my experience of travelling to European cities on a city break is is fairly limited. Um, But last year, my wife and I, Helen, we were in Budapest for a very, very short weekend visiting my sister, who's a CrossLinks mission partner there. And my impressions were, what a stunning city with wide, clean streets, amazing architecture, history, beautiful weather. I wonder what some of your um, recollections or impressions have been if you have travelled to European cities. here are, here are a few examples of a, the way that one website tries to whet our appetite to go and visit a city uh, on this continent. So, Belfast, let's start there. Why not? Belfast, a gateway to land, a land of legends. Berlin, young, dynamic, and cosmopolitan. Venice, the city that you will fall in love with. And Florence, where love and culture is everywhere. Athens, Last of all, Europe's oldest open-air museum. But There's more to cities than meets the eye, uh, at least where, the way a, a travel company tries to, to sell them to us. Listen to this description of Naples by Mark Oden, which is striking. He says, Europe ends here in Naples, and ends here quite badly. It's a city where religion and superstition overlap, a city where a test tube contains the blood of the patron saint, Saint Gennarius, that liquefies twice a year and is venerated. It is a city of great spiritual need. Closer to home. I love London City Mission's strap line, which is, of course, because, G, because London needs Jesus. Because London needs Jesus. And that is the reason for Paul's itinerary in this part of Acts. Acts chapter 13 to 19 are mini city breaks in Europe, but with a difference, with a twist, because Philippi needs Jesus, because Thessalonica needs Jesus. And Athens, Paul had spent only a short time in this uh, great open-air museum, as it is now, recorded there in Acts 17. Next stop, Corinth. Next stop, Corinth. Look at verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Now Google will tell you that it will take about 16 hours to walk the Isthmus from from Athens uh, down to Corinth. And had Paul owned the equivalent of Lonely Planet's Guide to Missionary Travels, what would he have been reading as he walked for those 16 hours? Perhaps he would have been going to Corinth thinking, I've got to find the nearest synagogue. I'm also going to speak to Jews before I speak to non Jews. And I'm going to head for uh, the city centre. And I've got to know who my friends are. I don't know. There was no such handbook. And as many of you know well here, there is no definitive guide to planting a church, there is no textbook for it. And I once made the mistake of asking someone in our church family a number of years back what books he'd been reading in order to prepare for this church plant that he was involved in and he basically laughed and said look I've been making it up as I go along and our passage highlights two things that would have motivated Paul as he traveled to Corinth as he ministered in Corinth two things which I hope will keep us going on strong in our witness to the Lord Jesus Christ here in Dulwich and as we engage in Mission opportunities around the world. The first is in verses 1 to 8. And forgive me for uh, uh, giving the wrong title to Simon and for that ending up there. That was my fault. But uh, verses 1 to 8. Look for gospel opportunities despite opposition. Look for gospel opportunities despite opposition. Lonely Planet would have summed up Paul as he arrives in Corinth. Chapter 18, verse 1. He is all alone and that wasn't meant to be the plan. If you glance back to Acts 17, verse 15, let me read that to you. Towards the end of his time in Thessalonica and Berea, we read in verse 15, Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. And Silas and Timothy are still in this place Berea. Verse 16 says that Paul was waiting for them in Athens. And so by the time he gets to Corinth, he's arrived on his own. He's there on his own. How would he have felt arriving in Corinth on his own? Well, I'll tell you. You can glance over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and I'll read there verse 3. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 3 describing Paul's time in Corinth and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling and my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom but demonstrations of the spirit and power. Paul came in much weakness and fear and trembling as he arrived in Corinth. He's no super apostle as he goes on and claims and and proves in his letters the corinthians he's no elite missionary we shouldn't build paul up as some kind of giant he didn't rate his ability to speak about the lord jesus and he came with knees knocking in fear and trembling isn't that us too most of the time Um, where we live we live in a little cul-de-sac in a village outside of seven oaks and uh, maybe this is not the picture you will think of when you think of seven oaks but anyway, it's a cul-de-sac where Molly the dog uh, roams freely and car mechanics operate on at least a third of the driveways doing their own car maintenance. Molly is a Rottweiler and uh, the mechanics are very proud of their their tattoos. They like to show them off. And for months when we arrived, I felt like a fish out of water. I trembled at the thought of getting into conversation with this little subculture in this little part of Kent, uh, especially when it came to saying, I'm a Christian and we belong to this church and uh, talking a bit more about Jesus. What hope for the gospel did I think, could I think of? And I shared something of what Paul perhaps went through in a much bigger scale here in Corinth where he experiences the Corinthian culture shock it was a sort of first century equivalent to Vanity Fair. I don't know if you saw the the TV series or you've read the book, but William Thackeray, who wrote the, the, the book, describes Vanity Fair as a place where everybody is striving for what is not worth having. And if Paul had been disturbed by the religious melting pot in Athens, it was no doubt the moral laxity that shocked him in Corinth. And yet, Dr. Luke shows us God giving opportunities despite opposition, despite the cultural tide that is bearing down and sweeping over and up against Paul. How so? How do we see these opportunities? Well, look at verse 2. Enter Aquila and Priscilla. Let me read verse 2. He found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome and he went to see them. Was this a coincidence for Paul to bump into this couple? Only if you don't believe that this mission that Paul is part of is God's mission. A dynamic duo, a dynamic Christian duo, Aquila and Priscilla. Because of their Jewish background, they'd been kicked out of Rome by the Emperor Claudius around about AD fifty. And here, Paul stumbles into them in Corinth, verse 3, and he goes into business with them. And as we know, they prove to be towers of strength to Paul in his ministry of the gospel as they stand side by side with him. They're gospel partners with Paul. They're gospel patrons. Paul would be nowhere without people like Aquila and Priscilla. And years later, he would write to the church in Rome. He would say that Priscilla and Aquila putting Priscilla's name first, interestingly, risk their lives for me, put themselves on the line for me. And so that is what God does as he opens up doors for the gospel. He provides people who will enable the gospel to go out whatever the cost. They'll stump up the cash. They'll open their homes. They will write thoughtful emails of encouragement. They will go and visit. They will stand side by side. With those on the front line. And we can all think of Priscillas and Aquillas who have come alongside us at the right time. Someone on a camp for a youngster, perhaps, or someone else who's just joined Grace Church Dulwich, and already they're beginning to sense that people are serious about the gospel. And God will continue to do this as He builds His church, because He is absolutely committed to using weak and trembling people like you and me to proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins to the whole world aquila and priscilla well next timothy and silas rock up in corinth and they can be forgiven actually for being late look back in chapter 17 verse 14 then the brothers immediately sent paul off on his way to the sea but silas and timothy remained there so they are there as we know already And they have borne the brunt of the angry Thessalonian mob who come down from Thessalonica looking for Paul. Paul slips out. But they stay put. They come to Corinth bearing the scars of persecution, physically or emotionally. They could have bailed. They could have taken the path of least resistance, the easy option. But instead of steering clear of Paul, because we know what's going to happen if we're with him, They come looking for him. And look at the effect they have. Verse 5. Verse 5. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. Actually, verse 5 could read like this. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul became wholly absorbed in preaching, testifying. It was as if something happened Paul put his tools down when Silas and Timothy arrived and he opened up his Bible on a more regular basis. They're, they're, a kind of, they're like the impact players that came on in the second half and lifted the side. Silas and Timothy, they come bringing good news about the churches in, in Macedonia. They come with gifts, they come with tangible expressions, physical expressions of, of partnership. And they're not going to run... They're not going to hide. They're going to stand with Paul alongside Aquila and Priscilla. So friends, don't underestimate the prayers, the one-off gifts, the pledges even, the hospitality, the visits. Just the, the, the mere interest that you can have in people working outside of the Dulwich context to the west coast of Ireland, into Europe and further. God creates opportunities for the gospel because it's His mission. He'll organize the right people in the right place with the right resources, whatever the obstacles that we see. Back in Acts 18, verse 5 and 6, things are changing. Paul is opening the Bible, he's proclaiming, he's testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And there's a different reaction. There's a reaction there. They opposed and reviled him. They opposed and reviled him. See, what is happening is what Charles Spurgeon describes when he says that the sun that melts the wax also hardens the clay. The same gospel that melts some people to repentance hardens others in their hearts, in their sin. That is the response. To Paul, while some hear the message of Jesus and become harder and revile him as they have done all the way since Antioch and Acts 13, others have their hearts softened by the message. And sometimes the opportunities God gives us are right next door. We don't have to go far, they're right next door because Paul leaves his hub, the center of activity, the synagogue, and he pretty much goes next door. Verse 7, he's in the house of Titius Justice, a worshipper of God, house next door to the synagogue, and he opens up his home to Paul. Probably a Roman citizen, but sympathetic to Paul's cause. He's a worshipper of God. He wants to know more of this, this divine being that he is seeing so many snapshots of around the place. And I suspect that Titius Justice... Had quite a large atrium where the church, if there was to be one, could meet. In verse 8, <clears throat> Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with the ent- his entire household. Crispus, the synagogue leader, he pays a visit, family in tow. And surely this is curtains for Paul and the, this new opportunity. He's coming from the synagogue, which has just reviled him, to pay a visit. To the house next door. But no, because again, the gospel is at work. People of influence like Crispus, people of great means like Titius Justus, people of extremist, violent backgrounds like the Apostle Paul are now standing together, one in Christ, contending for the faith. Now, if that doesn't encourage us, what will? <clears throat> God plans ahead, bringing couples, couples, individuals. God works next door. And God is opening opportunities. And slowly and surely, Christchurch Corinth is getting established. That's been the experience of Grace Church, as, as you've planted in Broccoli, and more recently, Sydenham. And yet, don't we still shrink back at the task When we want to open our mouths, our knees are knocking, and we still perhaps fear for our our reputation. What will it happen if I really throw in my lot with that lot? Our future, our finances, and sometimes, let's be honest, we we just don't want to open our mouths. That's how I have felt when I've talked to guys on the street. Now, I don't know about you, what sermons you've heard on mission. There are plenty entitled, Mission Possible spin-off from Mission Impossible or Mission Unstoppable. Well, this one is Mission Assured. Because secondly, God gives gospel assurance despite fears. God gives gospel assurance despite fears. Paul, perhaps, was now feeling quite optimistic. But he was feeling extremely anxious because if he wasn't a marked man, he certainly was now. And if ever there was a time to keep quiet, fly under the radar, and perhaps let others do the work, now was that time. And as we've said, what's often the first thing that happens when we're put in on the line like this? We become tongue-tied. And we, maybe you've memorized Proverbs 21 verse 23 for such an occasion which says, Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut and you will stay out of trouble. Well, that wasn't Paul here. But look at verses 9 and 10. We don't know exactly when this happened, but as he went to sleep, the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Don't be afraid, keep on speaking, don't be silent. Why? Verse 10, for I am with you and I have many in this city who are my people. These are two gospel promises, two gospel assurances that should turn our fears upside down on their heads inside out. The first one, I am with you and we sang it just a minute ago. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, our God is with us now. I remember when I joined secondary school. And I joined this grammar secondary school at the age of 13, 14. And I'd been in a smaller school up until this point where I uh, actually eyeballed the headmaster, got into the, the, all the rugby and, and team, sports teams on account of being almost six foot. And uh, was quite comfortable actually in this little school. And then I went to grammar school. And there was this strange species of students called sick formers who lurked the the, the the corridors and hallways. And now they looked down on me and they were bigger than me. And I would walk up from the station through the gates with my knees knocking, thinking, just keep your head down, don't say anything, don't say anything stupid. But every now and again I caught sight of somebody around the school And uh, gave me a great sense of assurance and that everything was going to be okay, kind of thing for a 13, 14 year old. It was my older brother who was one of these sick formers. And he'd catch my eye, and every now and again he'd ask me how I was doing. And it really gave me a confidence, a warmth, and a sort of ease. And I began to speak to my year group, and I began to even speak to his year group, the sick form. And I became known as Reed Two on account of him, my older brother. And as long as he was around, it felt like I'd be okay. Why are we so intimidated to speak up as Christians? Is it because we're the minority? Or because of our reputation? Well, I think it's because as we enter the front line, day after day, wherever that is, we forget that our older brother is with us. And his name is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Until the end of the age. Doesn't mean that you won't face opposition. But God's, well here in Paul's situation, this promise of, wasn't a blanket promise of protection. He had been in prison in Philippi, he'd been beaten, he had the scars. But it does assure us that we're not in it alone. So don't be afraid to open your mouth. Don't be afraid. Look at the second promise in verse 10. I have many in this city who are my people. And Paul could have been forgiven for questioning that in a place like Corinth. But as he woke up and rubbed the sleep from his eyes, names would pop into his head. Aquila, oh yeah, Priscilla, Silas, Timothy, Titius, Justus, Crispus. Mrs. Crispus, Crispus Junior, plenty of others, the company, not to mention the Corinthian believers whose names he'd not yet remembered. It might not have felt like mission accomplished, but it was mission assured, and that's exactly where you and I are to be. God does have many people in this city. He is a God who gathers, after all, and this emboldens us as we sang it, the watchmen lift their voices. It emboldens us to speak of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. But as we come to the end of this passage, we end with quite a strange episode that actually bears out what we've been thinking about just now in verses 9 and 10. You see, 18 months on and Christchurch Corinth is growing, but there's a new sheriff in town. Gallio, the proconsul of Archaea, is now the top dog in the city. And for the Jews, this is the perfect opportunity to put an end to the work of the gospel, to get rid of Paul, better still, to finish him off once and for all. And what they do is they call up the proconsul. And they say, we need a, we need a, a tribunal here because this, this man, Paul, he's trouble. He's persuading people, verse 13, to worship God in a way contrary to the law. And Paul is summoned, and everybody is nervous. Everybody is nervous. The last time a Christian or a, a, lead, a Christian leader stood before a proconsul, it was the Lord Jesus Christ when he stood before Pontius Pilate, and we know what happened. And so, by verse 13, it's not looking good for Paul. And yet, just as he had been encouraged to do that night, 18 months back, Paul goes to open his mouth, to give a defense. He's not going to be on the back foot. You see there in uh, verse 14. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, and then what happens surprisingly, Gallio opens his mouth and he interrupts, and there's silence. Surely this is it. He's going to cut to the chase and finish it. But even more surprisingly, Gallio shakes his head and says, I couldn't, frankly, I couldn't care less about this. You lot are wasting my time. Do you see what's happening? God is so directing the heart of Gallio that, that his indifference is the very means that enables the church to grow. God plans ahead, he comes alongside, now he stands above. And it shows us that God is sovereign over the most influential, powerful figures in this city. Gallio and actually now Sosthenes. Secular authority followed by religious authority because there's also a new synagogue ruler. But uh, we kind of feel sorry for Sosthenes at the end of this story. We should do. He becomes the object of his own people's anger. Maybe he didn't carry out the plan properly when this tribunal was being planned. Maybe he made one too many concessions. And, and yet, God is sovereign. Sosthenes' story doesn't end here in a pool of blood at the end of verse 17. Because, again, Sosthenes' name comes up, beginning of the letter to the Corinthians. Chapter 1, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians. We read Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes. Seven years later, Sosthenes is writing to a church that he has presumably played a pivotal part in establishing. What an encouragement, then, that in God's mission. Our fears don't have the last word. We can take heart because God is with us. He knows the people who are his. And I'm learning this on my street. God is giving us conversations with with the people who shout the loudest and seem to have the most clout on on the road. And I'm learning it from our mission partners too, with Crosslinks. Let me just tell you briefly about, you may have heard this story of Mark Oden, church plant. Che in Neapolis Evangelica uh, and church plant in Naples. Well, they planned these, I think it was the second anniversary of their church baptisms. There were going to be two people baptized. I think the 36th, 35th, 5th, 6th members of the, uh, of the congregation. And he was desperately texting, saying, you know, pray that it won't rain. It looks like it's going to rain, and we've got a whole big logistical problem. But more importantly, Paul, uh, Mark was saying. Just pray that the, that the, uh, the civic council or the, the, the city council don't put a stop to this event. I'm trying to persuade them that it would be a good thing. Bring people together, you know, do something different. And sure enough, neither the, neither the city officials nor the religious institutions put a stop to that bit of gospel work. Just like in Corinth and the church is growing. It's small but it is growing. And so what about here in Dulwich? Who are those that you fear most? Where are the places that you dread to open your mouth? What are the greatest threats to your growth as a church? Could it be that some of us this morning have taken our eyes off our older brother who is with us, Emmanuel? Are you sometimes struck dumb by influential leaders in your community who just seem to carry more clout? Have we forgotten that the mission is God's? Are we trying to control it? To control the ebb and flow, the highs and lows and make it more manageable? Well, it is God's mission. He will give the opportunities. He will bring the results. And he will gain the glory. So may God stand beside you, above you and in front of you as you As a church family, seek to live and speak for Jesus in the days ahead. Let's pray. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that down the years and in the years ahead, this promise will remain sure. May it bring us the kind of assurance we need so that we would be those who press on to the end, speaking with courage, with clarity, with love for people who at yet this point don't know you as Lord and Saviour. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.